This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike, and we're really excited for today's episode. we got a couple guests on the show today. Joining us are uh, Megan Kwame and Steve Stone, and Megan is the CEO at Bees, or uh, B6, powered by Bees, and uh, she's also the chairwoman at Avery's Trail Distilling Company, uh, and Steve Stone is the former CTO at L Brands and Lowe's, and he joined up with Megan to... Uh, Provide some technology and consulting for V6, and uh, we talk a lot about uh, we talk about quite a few different things during this episode. But among those are Megan's background and how she was one of the first female partners at a large financial firm on Wall Street. Ended up um, on Wall Street, took a brief detour to South Florida before returning to Ohio by way of Cincinnati to work for what was Season Good and Mayor. And at the time, it was the oldest privately held public finance firm in the country. And I was their first female non-trading investment banking partner in over 100 years. We also talk about how the idea for B6 powered by bees came to be. And a lot of that came from Megan's background. For somebody like me who understands the domain space, we're looking at all of this data. How do we do it better? How do we, you know, we're trying to make a market, for example. We were missing markets because it would take us so long to get this data together. So I took a tour of Silicon Valley, talked to many smart people that I know and said, hey guys, is there some software out there that I could purchase so I could easily put all my CSV files in there and get to Insight? And the short answer was, no, Megan, it's really, really hard. As well as the challenges that B6 helped their customers solve. And uh, overall, I think you get a really good picture of B6 powered by bees. What I find with large organizations, an example at L Brands, we had over 250 different systems in production. And you start thinking about that, that's a lot of different data. And I will tell you, they weren't built on a unified data model and that's not rare, that's the way things work. We buy a lot of different packaged software and now we have to bring it all together and make sense out of it. And so uh, that's a huge problem for all sizes of companies, big and small. I hope you enjoy this episode as usual. Let's dive right into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. We've got a full house here in the booth today, but Josh and Tim both joining us. Guys, what's going on? Not much, man. I'm first this time, Tim. So here I go. I uh, had a good holiday weekend. We don't plan any of this, so it's it's all live. It is. It's all No, this is well rehearsed. You can't tell. <laughs> yeah, we always script these before you jump on. It was good, man. Good uh, coming off 4th of July weekend, which was nice. And uh, excited to be back at it. That's good, Tim. Would you do anything from for Fourth of July? I didn't, and I I actually kind of liked it to be honest yeah, with a little you. Little relaxation. Yeah, that was. I went. So one of my best friends is having a baby, and that's still it's happening a lot in my life. But it's still weird because I've known them for so long. And <laughs> this I'm place like, is Tim's <laughs> age very well. So go ahead. Yeah, and and it just so it it's just weird to see friends that I grew up with that I feel we can't take care of ourselves mm -hmm. now responsible for other humans. Right. Yeah. But no. it was. <laughs> It was really good to see him. It was down in Cincinnati, so I got out of got out of town for a little bit. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah good. good. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and introduce our guests for today, and we have two of them, Megan Kwame and Steve Stone. And Megan is the CEO at Bees, formerly Fact Gem, and chairwoman at Avery's Trail Distilling Company. And Steve is a former CTO at L Brands and Lowe's, and today he's working with the Bees team at, as a technology consultant. And uh, we're excited to have them both on today. Megan was UNC grad and got her start on Wall Street as an analyst for a fixed income investment banking group. And she's founded several of her own companies, including Bees, a, a data visualization startup here in Columbus, and uh, as well as Avery's Trail Distilling Company. She's chairwoman there, like we mentioned earlier. And Steve served as CTO at L Brands and Lowe's and is currently working with their team in that advisory role. So we're excited to talk to both Megan and Steve about Bees 
their product, B6, as well as where it is heading. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Megan and Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Tim, I have three kids and I still don't know how I got here. So Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah, those kids, (laughs) they just pop up if you're not careful. We also, we celebrated by going to like a, like an off-brand Magic Mountain for, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you know, those are, so he, we celebrated him having baby by leaving the family and just him and myself going, playing arcade games, driving go-karts and mini golf. Nice. With a, like, we were by far the oldest people there. So <laughs> nice. I felt like, I felt like we did it justice. Yeah, I yeah. like it. First place we like to start though, Megan and Steve is just to get a little background on yourselves and kind of how you got to where you are today. And, and maybe we'll start with Megan. So sure. you just kind of walk us through the, the, the highlights, so yep. to speak. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. I'm excited to be here. So I'm a Midwestern girl born and raised. I Went to UNC Chapel Hill. It's the only thing Steve Stone and I can't talk about. So, <laughs> but I remind him if God wasn't a Tar Heel, then why is the sky Carolina blue? <laughs> but in any event, so I ran track at UNC, um, studied political science and chemistry there, and then went to Wall Street. Was trying to decide, as you can tell by what I studied, did I want to go to medical school or Wall Street? But ended up um, on Wall Street. Took a brief detour to South Florida before returning to Ohio by way of Cincinnati to work for what was Season Good and Mayor. And at the time, it was the oldest privately held public finance firm in the country. And I was their first female non-trading investment banking partner in over 100 years. So it was quite a journey, um, a story in and of itself, but I had a great time doing that. I worked primarily with state and local governments and their private partners on infrastructure projects. And that's ultimately what led to me becoming an uh, an entrepreneur myself and trying to solve problems I had as an investment banker, which we'll talk about. Um, I am live here in Columbus and married to my best friend, Mark Kwame, who I think has been a guest here. And we have three amazing kids, Gracie Jean, Magnus, and Hannah Blue, who keep us on our toes. So mm-hmm. lots of fun. Absolutely. And Steve, what about you? Well, from my accent, you probably can guess I wasn't born in Ohio. I was uh, born and raised in North Carolina, attended uh, Appalachian State, which I think is Ohio's second favorite team after uh, we beat Michigan in 2007. (laughs) I started my career uh, as a developer in the software industry and uh, was a management consultant with Ernst & Young before I joined Lowe's uh, when it was about a $3 billion retailer. And I grew with the company serving as their CIO for the final eight years when we reached about $50 billion in sales. I left Lowe's in 2011, thought I was retiring, but didn't, and joined MicroStrategy uh, to build and run their cloud business. Uh, but they was recruited away to L Brands in 2013 and served as their CIO for about five years uh, before I did retire. And I founded my LLC that primarily provides executive advisory services. And then as everyone's talking about the kids, I have three daughters located in North Carolina, New York, and in Australia. Nice, all over the place. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. The story of you two coming together and how, Megan and Steve, did you guys meet? So we met, I think, in 2016. And so uh, Steve was CIO at L Brands and is actually, you're looking at our first uh, customer at what is now Bees. And so that is where we met. 
And then how did the idea come to formation? I'm sure there's there's a long in-depth process from how you guys took it from ideation to starting to get the wheels rolling. So can you take us back to those early days, maybe the problem identification, how you began to realize that this is something that needs to be solved at scale? Sure. So it really goes back probably a decade or so for me. So as I mentioned, um, I began my career as an investment banker. And when you start in that field, most people start off as an analyst. So you hear about investment banking analysts. And I really got into the credit space like to understand how do you rate what I was working on, which was in fixed income securities, so bonds, and spent a lot of time um, and called myself the spreadsheet queen. So I would be responsible for collecting data when working with our local and state government partners, looking at audited financial statements, or if it was our you know private or public company partners, looking at their financials, looking at lease payments, if it was economic development, different streams of revenue that might come in. And I really, on my last transaction, which was for Goodyear Tire and Rubber, we worked to keep them here on financing their new world headquarters. And when I ended that project, so I spent, I think, three years or so working on it, we had hundreds of Excel models. And I looked at it and said to myself, there has to be a better way. So I am not a technologist. I'm not coding anything. I have done a few Udacity courses, but I don't think it's in my future as a career. Mm -hmm. Um, Steve actually knows how to do that. But I said, for somebody like me who understands the domain space, we're looking at all of this data. How do we do it better? How do we, you know, we're trying to make a market, for example. So if it's a bond financing, we want to get to a certain market and we need to have everything together for due diligence purposes. We were missing markets because it would take us so long to get this data together. So I took a tour of Silicon Valley, talked to many smart people that I know and said, hey, guys, is there some software out there that I could purchase so I could easily put all my CSV files in there and get to Insight? And the short answer was, no, Megan, it's really, really hard. And that surprised me. And then I met my now friend and uh, co-founder and CTO, Clark Ritchie. Clark came out of the intelligence space. And I often say as the first person who was both smart enough and probably crazy enough to say, hey, I get the problem you're trying to solve because he was used to dealing with massive volumes of data and finding patterns in it and said, I think I can help you. Let's try to go build this. And so we then stumbled upon Steve at some point. Um, and Steve was really, I would say, the first person in an enterprise then who said, I'm willing to take a chance on you guys. And, you know, I credit Steve with this often. We are a graph analytics solution. Graph databases are actually very new, and I think Steve can attest to that. You look at most technology inside of enterprises today, these databases have been used for 30, 40, 50 years. Graph databases in 2016, I, I don't want to speak for you, Steve. I don't think you had used it at that point. No, we had not. If you look at the marketplace today, even today, it's 75 uh 76% of the marketplace is still relational databases. So your oracles, your IBMs of the world. Graph is a different way of looking at data. Uh, when you think about the, the way graph works, think about Facebook, uh, where you have friends of friends of friends, or think about the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. I mean, uh, that's what <laughs> graph solves. It, it, it solves those big relationship problems. And the funny thing is, that's what a lot of the data today is like. I mean, you've got IoT data, you've got mobile data, geospatial data, geolocation data, and now you're trying to make sense of that with demographics and psychographic data. It's all about relationships, and uh, that's what uh, Graph does really, really well. And we used FactGem at the time, which became Bees, 
to do a lot of very interesting uh, analysis at L Brands that we weren't able to really do with uh, traditional relational technologies. So would a good example of of one of these problems be like, suppose I, uh, Brands, take Brands as an example. I'm trying mm-hmm. to decide where to put my next Victoria's Secret store. And you need to take in the demographic data of like, where are, where's my target demographic? But you also need to take in the data of where are all my stores located currently. And then on top of that, you also have to take in the data of not just demographics, but location wise, where, you know, what areas can people easily travel to and where am I going to get the best tax breaks and where am I going to get this and that and that. And it just, all these things add up. So in making that decision, it's hard to pull that data all into one place unless you have a system like Bees. Is that, am I hitting that? That's a good way of thinking about yeah, it. That's yeah, that's a great way of putting I think it. Bees solves two problems. One is uh, breaking down what we would call data silos. So data that's in a lot of different locations and different systems and different formats, it unifies that data and allows you now to query it. I think the other big thing is, as I said before, the, the relationships. So in, in your example, yeah, we've got, you want to put a store where you're hitting to the right demographics, but you're the right proximity from uh, other retail stores, but close enough proximity to distribution that you don't have uh, over massive freight charges of getting product there. Uh, you want to make sure that I can cover a lot of that with advertising. So it, it's a very highly relational data problem that uh, Bees helps to solve. And the product, the product's called B6, right? It's it's B6, B6 powered correct. by Bees. And so maybe I'll speak on that for just yeah. a minute. But uh, going back to Steve's and my time together and where Bees really comes from is I, I have a great picture I'll have to pull out at some point. But we were standing outside the chief data scientist's office and looking out on to the floor. And there were probably 200 individuals, you know, working hard out there. And she said to me, do, do you know what they're doing? And I said, well, I assume they're working. I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. And she said, well, most of them, and she started walking by computers and she said, what do you notice? And I said, they all are using Excel. And she said, exactly, because they're all spending their time trying to figure out how to get this data together and what we need them to do better. And what, Megan, we think you can help us do is have them actually do the science. Let's get them doing the science and get them to insight so we can make decisions on it, not spending all their time on the how do we get the data together. And so she said, these are my worker bees and I need you to help them go faster. Mm -hmm. And so that was really the idea for this, you know, B6, right? You hear a lot about people get their B6, you know, IVs or their B6 supplements. And so it's how do we power the brain of the organization? How do we not replace people, but help the people that are there to accelerate to what they're trying to do, which is um, the data analytics. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So as you guys look at these massive piles of data that you're working with and trying to pull meaningful insights out of them that people can then take action upon inside organizations, do you see this mainly as just a Fortune 500 company problem or do you think that this trickles to every size entity across uh, every economy? I think that's what's interesting. It's both a good problem for us and also a tough problem. And I'll, I'll let Steve speak on it from a technology perspective. But you know what we often find is that no matter what domain space you're in, the patient has the same problem. They're they're stuck on the, how do we get the data together? Where is the data? 
they can't even get to the insights part of it. And what B6 isn't trying to be a domain expert. What we're trying to do through B6 is power the domain expert to do it more quickly. So, but Steve, maybe I'll let you say a few minutes on that. No, I would, I would, I would what you said is absolutely correct. I mean, we, uh, one of the things we find that the difference between a large organization and a small organization is probably just scale. Uh, they all have the same types of problems. I, I talk to different retailers of every shape and form uh, as part of my, you know, daily, weekly types of uh, activities. And they're all trying to deal with things like, how do I get better cu customer segmentation that allows me to uh, understand more about what my customer is doing? How do I understand what they're buying with market basket analysis or uh, you know, how do I find internal fraud or how do I find an optimal path or product to get through my supply chain? All these are big data types of problems. And uh, what I find with large organizations, an example at L Brands, we had over 250 different systems uh, in, in production. And you start thinking about that, that's a lot of different data. And I will tell you, they weren't built on a unified data model. And that's you know, that's not rare. That's that's the way things work. We we bought buy a lot of different package software, and now we have to bring it all together and make sense out of it. And so uh, that's a, a huge problem for all sizes of companies, uh, big and small. And as you guys look at the company where you sit today, I kind of see two hurdles if I was in your guys' shoes. Like one, how do we pull this data together and normalize it in a way that we can start actually massaging it? And then two, how do we take such extreme complexity and start to build insights out of it. And I know you mentioned, uh, I'm going to miss his name from earlier. Was it Charlie or was it Cliff? Or was it even with a C? The uh, tech... Your technical Clark. Yeah, Clark. 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 <laughs> this is five more C names away. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned that Clark is kind of uh, like the massive brains behind the AI uh, center side of things. So how are you guys going about accomplishing those two hurdles? Remind me of the first one again. Sorry, I was stuck on Cliff. Um, yes. So <laughs> I was talking about uh, can, like taking all of those data that are the silos and, and making sure that you can create, whether it's an API or whatever it is, to bring that data into one single source. And the other one is then making the interpretations. Let me start with the first one, which is we don't necessarily, you know, we're not coming into an organization. And I think, you know, Steve and I worked through a lot of this together early on when he was our customer is saying, we're not there to disrupt the silos. So silos often, they get a bad rap, but they're often there for important reasons, whether it's administrative or security or otherwise. And so what we're saying is, hey, we're there to be that kind of juicy middle layer of the cake, if you will, right? So we have all this data kind of sitting as the bottom layer of the cake, different data sources, often organized that way for important reasons that we're not a part of, but saying, how do we create models where we can easily you know, connect those data sources into a model, get that data together, and then allow these smart data scientists and data analysts to deliver those insights to the top of the cake, right? To what are those business intelligence tools and otherwise? So we can get it to people to make decisions out of it. And so it's how do we make that process simplistic enough? Graph databases are new in terms of being part of a data strategy. So those that's kind of just emerging. And quite honestly, in the midst of the pandemic and out of that, I have heard in the last, you know, call it six months, people talk more about graph and the need to understand relationships and data than I've ever heard. And so our idea is, hey, those, that skill set doesn't necessarily exist in organizations. So B6 allows you 
to take, you know, we're building templates that are models. So a retail model, a financial services model, fraud model, et cetera, allow people to easily connect that data, analyze it through queries that they understand because they're domain experts and deliver it. So model, analyze, deliver. And then maybe Steve, I'll let you address the next question. Yeah. So, I mean, as Megan said, we, you, essentially just draw what you think the data should look like. It's a visual model, visual representation of uh, how your data should look for analysis. And then we connect directly to the data sources through the bees tool to then ingest data from your existing data sources into that model. Then you're going to apply analytics. And that problem is a little bit different in that if you think about something like a market basket analysis, which is which products were sold with other products. It, it sounds simple on the surface, but when you're dealing with, you know, at Lowe's, on average, 15 million uh, invoices a week, 46 to 47 million line items per week. So now I have to evaluate 46, 47 million line items of data. And that was back when it was a $50 billion company. Now it's probably a lot more. So Understanding what item was sold with others is actually not as easy as it sounds, very complicated. And so the application of algorithms to that data, uh, unless you are a, a developer or a data scientist, it's very hard to do. What we try to do with bees is make it much easier for someone to say, oh, I want to do market basket analysis or I want to do customer segmentation. And then bees takes all the complexity out of it. It runs the algorithms and brings back the result sets that you can now put wherever you want, whether it's uh, in uh, another database or if you want to analyze that result set in something like Tableau or MicroStrategy, uh, you're, you're able to do that. So. Uh, I think that's really the the interesting thing that that bees does is the visualization we actually do is on the front end as opposed to the back end. We allow you to visualize the data in a way that you can then analyze it. Are you required to have a certain type of business or can you apply this system to any data? I think it can be applied in any business, but as we say, I think it's part of the overall data strategy. I think that's what you're gonna see change, right? So I think graph it is just now emerging in the last couple of years. And as I said, I think really after the pandemic, I've seen it even more will be part of that. And I don't think it matters necessarily what domain space, but I think if you're dealing with lots of customers, lots of products, you know, I was just going to ask Steve briefly, Steve, um, we have many resident nerds, including myself, but Steve did a little test on kind of to answer your last question and applying to this too, um, with a company recently, and Steve, I don't know if you remember the exact metrics where you ran the basket analysis in SQL, and then we also ran it in B6. And it was just, it was kind of fascinating to me to see this is what a somebody looking at this inside of an enterprise might be dealing with. The reason I ask is because um, obviously you're talking about customers and, and more of a business, but in uh, in sports betting, there's like I do a lot of sports betting and it's a lot of data driven. So I'm curious if there's a big segment as this becomes legal, the way that you get an edge in sports betting is to find patterns, right? And there's a, there's yes. things called system plays that don't require any sort of, you literally just have requirements, right? And the longer the list of requirements, like how many days rest they this team had. And then there's a lot of data and, but there'll be like 50 of those, right? And it'll spit out basically based on all of this data. So I was just curious if you could take your own data and apply to that. So a lot of a lot of the bets that I'll play are are just 
Um, there's some that are based on, you know, analysis that we do, but there's some so that, more that sources out. of data to it. Yeah. And I'm yeah. curious if you could yeah. find patterns that maybe, cause sports betting, there's always, everybody has, a, has their own, you mm -hmm. know, way, but I'm wondering if, if you could apply some different. I like cats, it, Tim. We're going to set you up with an instance. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Beesnow.com. Get yourself an instance. <laughs> I like it. Okay. I do. Um, yeah. I do a ton of modeling through that. I mean, a lot, like I said, a lot of it is if you, if you applied me to a, a business that I may not know anything about, but when you apply it to sports betting, there's, there's nuances and there's things that you can find. Absolutely. It's yeah. again, it's understanding that highly connected data. Where are the relationships? And it's finding value in sports betting. Right. It's called find the value, you know? And mm -hmm. then and a lot of times you'll play something that is not likely to happen, but there's value on that. And in business, there's the same thing where you're like this, like you talked about based on location, mm -hmm. there's a ton of factors that could find value in a location that may not be, it might not be the, you know, the most valuable, right. but there's a higher chance of a, of more of a, of an outcome. A of, return. Yeah, exactly. And that's finding value in sports betting. And so, so that's, you, you're talking about that. That's exactly what B6 does. Mm -hmm. So it's taking people like yourself. I am not a domain expert in that, but mm -hmm. if you could sit down and we could get this whiteboard and you could start drawing circles of here's all the information I care about and how it's related you, you could sit and connect that data nice. and get insight. I think if you found a way to apply that to the, the, cause I mean, sports betting is legal in like seven States, but it'll be in all 50 very soon. And eventually it'll be in every single stadium, but it only applies to professionals. Obviously the, the casual sports mm -hmm. better is like, I oh, like the giants. I'm going to bet on the giants wouldn't use it. But the people who are grinding every day, if you could save them two hours of crunching numbers, they're going to they, they pay. Yeah. Especially in daily fantasy where you mm -hmm. have individual players that I have like, Oh my God, I, if I showed you like the, the, the <laughs> processes that spit out those lineups. It's ridiculous. You know, let's try it. I mean, I'm I, like it. Yeah, I, I like money. Sports, right. is, uh, <laughs> sports is a highly relational. I mean, I so many relationships there and so many patterns across. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's moved more and more to analytics. Uh, another great example is the pandemic. One of the things we talked about throughout the pandemic was contact tracing. That's a graph problem. It's how things are related to one another. And uh, over a period of time, what has transpired? So all those things, I, that, I think the, the sports betting one especially is fun for me because I love sports statistics. Mm -hmm. uh, but being able to look at things over time and understand patterns uh, you know, baseball, for example, this mm -hmm. particular player hits better against left-handers when it's 38 degrees as opposed to 62 degrees. I mean, yeah. very nuanced things that can make a big difference. Uh, so, yeah. I, d I don't watch baseball, but I have found value recently in humidity and air density. I was going to so say weather. Yeah, based on altitude and air density, like the over, under on home runs, I won't even watch the game. I'll just run a model that's like based on any game that's <laughs> in this temperature in this humidity because it'll change. Right. And then the balls will fly mm -hmm. 30 feet, 40 feet farther because of the, the air is thinner and just stuff like that. It's, you know, or inside, outside, stuff like that, you know, punters in a, we could get nerdy. But, so that'd <laughs> but be really cool. This is the issue in enterprises, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at it and I won't quote the statistic. I won't remember it exactly, but you look at how many sources of data you have and then ask analysts on average, how many data sources do they actually use? It's tiny. Why? Because of the problem you just described. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to put the data together. It takes a lot of time too. Yeah. Sure. Maybe a less sports specific example. Like I'm trying to growth model our team right now because we're looking to grow 50% year over year for the next three years. How many people am I going to have to add? How many customers are we going to be bringing in? How's that going to impact our CS team, our product team, our development team, right? How many more resources are we going to need to bring on? And that data all comes from Salesforce, where I keep all of our sales data. Mm -hmm. It comes from Gainsight, where we keep all of our customer success data. How many people can we, how many people are we going to need to raise that capacity? And 
running one version of that model is hard enough. It's really hard. But you have to run a bunch of versions of that model so you know what the risks are and where, you know, okay, hey, if I, or if our ramp times are this percentage slower, how does that impact our growth? How does it impact the number of people we need? How does it impact all this stuff? And that is a mm-hmm. complicated problem. I can't even imagine for a company larger than FMX how complicated that problem could get and how many different data sources you'd be pulling in. So it makes a lot of sense to me. And Megan had brought up a point earlier. Uh, we were looking at data from a uh, fairly sizable uh, online e-commerce player that had uh, provided this to us to, to look at uh, market basket analysis for them. And I'd loaded the data in a relational database so I, so I could actually do some work to find context. And Clark had loaded the data into uh, our B uh, application, our B6 platform. And we got to a point where I was trying to understand how they were doing promotions. And I asked a question around promotional cadence, which says, okay, uh, this, this particular product, we know when people buy it, they also buy product B. But the problem was I knew they were promoting the, the driver item, but it looked like they were also promoting product B at the same time. So I was trying to understand how often were people buying product B when it wasn't promoted? Sounds again, like an easy question. I, I posed the query uh, in my relational database because I just had it there available. And after three hours, I said, I give up. Uh, I called Clark. Clark said, oh, well, let's, let's try that. In 15 seconds, we had the answer. So the, I guess the point I would make there is Data structures like relational uh, databases, great for transactional processing. They are the the fastest thing in the world to to process transactions. They're not always necessarily the best thing to use for asking these types of complex, uh, highly connected questions. Does the, and we're kind of like beating this over the head a little bit, um, (laughs) so I don't want to drive too much home, but I'm curious if it if it's the difference between causation versus correlation in these data sets. I mean, I think it is. I think that's what I'm getting from the vibe from some of the answers. But just understanding, you know, what is a true relationship versus what might just appear to be one on a surface level. Yeah, if you think think about the way a relational database is structured, it's uh, rows and columns. Uh, I, used, I always joke with with Megan that uh, the world's perfect user interface was created in the early 1980s when we came out with Lotus 1, 2, 3, and you know, later Excel. Everyone loves rows and columns. The problem is uh, you, you create data in relational databases as tables, uh, which is sets of rows and columns. And I now have to join those tables together in order to be able to do a query. So when you have data that you segmented to, to make it process faster, into hundreds of tables, and I want to bring that data back together, I've got to write queries and then specifically understand how that those tables are joined to one another. I have to understand, in other words, the structure of the tables. With graphs, the relationships are part of the data. There is no structure, per se. It's just how the data is linked. So the it's not going out and building these um, massive, massive queries. Uh, it's actually pretty straightforward. But I would tell you, if, if Graph was being challenged to insert millions of rows uh, every few minutes, it would struggle with that. That's not its, its purpose. It's more around taking this highly connected data and turning it into insights and value. I think the way we say it a lot, and it, it makes sense, is when you look at rows and columns and you look at relational databases, the problem is they don't do relationships very well at all. And that's graph performs at scale when understanding relationships. 
So another problem that appears simple on the surface, but is probably rather complex, as you mentioned, like when I asked the question about, you know, do we fit with smaller businesses or enterprise? And you said uh, that's part of the problem. I'm assuming that positioning and, and the go-to-market at scale for the organization is probably something that's on the mind right now. So as you guys look at that, how are you starting to break it down and where do you see the future going? Yeah, it's a great question. So we really believe that when you look at where data science is today, that it's going to perform and we're going to create the best tools as a collective. And so we made a decision you know, in early on in the launch of B6 that we want to be part of the data science community. And because of that, if you go to the website, what you'll see is that anyone can can get an instance. Tim can jump on and start with his sports betting models and understanding that. And, and the reason for that, guys, is that that that's how you're going to get fierce feedback, as we like to call it, right? That's how we're going to get people in the tool using it. That does not mean we will abandon our enterprise customers or that we don't want or don't think we can be a real, you know, add value at the enterprise level. We think we can. But at the same time, we also have a lot of respect for the community as it stands today and said we want to join them and be part of it and have them help us build a great product. So it's almost, you know, not only you're sourcing feedback for your product by being a part of that community, but also, you know, hopefully giving you some direction in terms of the future growth of the product and the uh, the development of the product. Correct. And what about what about from a company perspective? You know, what are the goals going forward and where do you see yourselves heading? Right. Like, is there is a do you have that future vision of mind of, you know, IPO or some type of exit or are you kind of thinking one or two years ahead at a time? Yeah, I guess I'll begin and let Steve comment also. But, you know, for me, what's, again, really shifted in the last six months and in developing B6 and really moving from a what I would call platform into a product is saying, you know, Graph is here to stay. And I'm really seeing that and seeing that I think successful data strategies across all companies are going to include graph at some level. And we want to be a player and a leader in that. And we have worked at this a number of years and think this product is the first of many products that will help to solve these problems of understanding relationships at scale. So for me, it's let's get as many people in this as we can. Let's really become a leader in the community and the data science and the analytics community. But let's also be a good partner to our engineering teams inside of enterprises, CIOs like Steve and understanding this isn't about arm wrestling, but it's about saying, hey, how do we help data scientists to actually perform the science? That's what we want to do. And then work with the engineering teams to say, hey, we're just helping accelerate that engineering, not not replacing it. Steve, anything to add there? Yeah, I would say uh, if you look back in, in 2020 as a collective, as the world, we were generating somewhere around 168 exabytes of data each day, new data. Uh, to put that in perspective, if you look at the amount of data created from the dawn of mankind till 2007, uh, it was about 168 exabytes. So we're creating that much data every day now. Uh, and it just reasons that there's going to be a lot of noise in the data. Uh, businesses know what is important to them and you know, like their customers or their products or their partners or employees. So they want to focus on that. I, I think our key value prop that we're trying to bring to them is getting speed to value. Uh, so insights will generate 
actions. Actions are going to generate outcomes, which generally have ROI associated with them. So our focus with B6 is to really focus on speed of getting to answers quickly and uh, delivering value and cutting out all the noise. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. What about any other personal goals outside of the company for the future? You guys, I mean, you mentioned the kids going on and Steve's got some all the way over uh, in Australia, which is quite a hike. So any any personal goals that you guys are focused on right now outside of just the professional realm? Sure. Well, I, I have been uh, in the throes of homeschool with our kids. So we um, have an eight, eight and a half, almost seven and almost four. And started that from the very beginning with our um, daughter, Gracie Jean. And that has been a big focus of mine is really being uh, participatory in that some days I do feel like I'm going to pull my hair out and it's hard um, running companies, being part of the homeschool and, um, but there's nothing more important to me. So I've, I've really been focused on that a great deal. And it's been fun to include them in the business side of it. So we had our kids last year come up and they wanted to understand what their dad did. And I said, okay, great. So let's come up with uh, a company idea and you have to pitch it to your dad and his partners. And that was just so much fun. So I've, I've really enjoyed <laughs> Did they get funded? being part of it. Uh, no, actually, Gracie Jean said the other day, hey, I never got my money from daddy. So. <laughs> Steve, how about on your end? Oh, uh, it's funny. My kids are obviously a little bit older than Megan's. Uh, my oldest is uh, getting her doctorate in epidemiology in Australia. My uh Middle daughter has just wrapped or is just wrapping up her MBA and has a career at Reynolds of America in Winston Salem. And then my uh, youngest is getting her law uh, law degree at St. John's in New York. So keep up with them. We talk to them uh, all of them every day. Um, just trying to enjoy life a bit more. I, I still love technology. I mean, yeah, even though I'm no longer uh, in the throes of being a CIO, which there's parts of it I really miss. There's parts of it I don't miss at all. Uh, enjoy very much working with companies like uh, Bees that are growing, that are you know solving problems that are really big today. And I think it's a way to keep myself kind of young. I, I enjoy uh, learning about new technologies and applying that to the problems that I've seen people try to deal with for years and years. So that's, that's what I enjoy doing. That's what I plan on doing for the next few years. And maybe one other personal question. You guys have both reached your level of success professionally in different realms. You know, yours has been more the entrepreneurial path and Steve, yours has been more on the C-level Fortune 500 side of things. And when you talk to people these days, they typically, at least millennials or people that I uh, speak to about uh, professional things, they say they either want to climb the Fortune 500 path and that's the route they want to go. And the dream is always C-level for most people or 
they want to be an entrepreneur and they're going to, you know, uh, go down and fire that way. So as you think about some of our listeners that are out there, 21 to 35 years old, young professionals, aspiring entrepreneurs, any advice to them from either of you on, on your career path? And, uh, it could even be things if you look back and say, um, I wish I would have done it a little bit differently, or maybe you feel like you've done everything perfectly up until now. Huh. Well, not, 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 I don't mean that. I don't mean that so kind of sending. I definitely mean, It sounded yeah. like a little bit of a jab, oh. yeah. subtle jab from Josh. Yeah. yeah. Um, first, first, I apologize to Cliff, and then I'll apologize for that. I didn't yeah. mean it so kind of sending. I meant it, you know. You know I'll his stop. name's Clark, right? Yeah, Cliff. Is it Clark? No, Clark. you're kidding me. Clark. It's Clark? It's Clark, but that's okay. Oh, my God. We're going to edit this up, so it's so bad. <laughs> Reminding ourselves we're not perfect. I do it every moment of every day. Uh, in terms of advice uh, on the entrepreneurial route, I would just say I have had the great fortune of meeting so many amazing entrepreneurs, people who have had great success, people who have had failures, people who have had failures and success. And I think most of the joy they found in it, most of the success comes from solving their own problems. And, and I think that for myself, right? So maybe people come up with great ideas, the, the little cocktail umbrella, whatever it may be that just, you know, pops into their brain. But I think for most of us, it's really looking at problems we have in our own careers and our own spaces and saying, how could I do that better? And I think the success in that comes from saying, at least from my perspective, I can't do that alone. So the best outcomes I've had in new business ideas has been surrounding myself with people like Steve. Steve has been probably, you know, and Clark together, um, the, the biggest blessings of this particular path for me and people who knew a lot more than I did, right? So I'm not a technologist, but I had an idea and surrounding yourself with people who are going to give you that fierce feedback, who are going to say to you, that's a terrible idea. No, the market doesn't need that, whatever it may be. And being able to receive that and develop with them. And the other lesson I've learned over and over again is that you're typically not the only one with the idea, so move quickly. <laughs> so I can't tell you how many times I've thought, oh, geez, whether it's been in the liquor business or in the software business and gone, yep, somebody did it more quickly. We had the thought, but we should have moved. And I think that's one thing, Steve, I can credit our team with today is that we, in the midst of the pandemic, saw a need, were able to pivot quickly and got to this product. And we held ourselves to it and were disciplined about it. And I'm really proud of our team for that. I would agree. And yeah, I, I definitely took a different path. I, I was more in the industry side, uh, larger companies. Uh, but I think even there, th this whole idea of an entrepreneurial spirit uh, and bringing innovation to large companies is something you have to have. You have to have that spirit. And so I would say, even if you're a you know if you're a young person and you're in a large company. Uh, Find your path. I mean, there, there are, you know, obviously there's big career paths uh, in large companies. Sometimes they're very well structured and, you know, there's, there's goodness there. But I can tell you uh, at Lowe's, it's always challenged. We always challenged uh, the status quo. I mean, we, um, I had the opportunity to start Lowe's.com. If you've ever used a My Lowe's card in a Lowe's store, I was the author of the, uh, the white paper for that. Um, you know, we just the technology changes we made from going from a $3 billion company to a $50 billion company were mind boggling. Uh, heck, when I started there, we had 300 gigabytes of disk total. That's lessons on my, my flipping iPhone now. <laughs> so, uh, and that was a $3 billion company. Things change. And I just think that um, yeah, in the large companies, 
you just have to keep yourself uh, focused, but also uh, willing to take some some risk and some challenges. So that entrepreneurial spirit, even at a big company, is very, very important. All right. Random curious question now, Steve. How big was the database in terms of physical size that held those 300 gigabytes? The database? Right. Like, was it a, was it a, you know, did you have oh, a you're about, Oh, you're talking about, about the hardware. The size oh, of the hardware. Right. It was massive. It would have, um, it would have been probably, I would say 20 feet long and probably six to eight feet deep. Wow. Uh, and uh, that was, that was just the processors. Now, if you looked at the tape drives, I remember our first big tape drive we had at Lowe's uh, that we automated. It was automated. It, it had a robot on tracks. It was about a uh, hundred feet long. And uh, it had glass, so you could watch this robot in there working its butt off, pulling tapes and popping tapes in. Uh, and then one day, somebody had done something, and it, uh, a screw came loose. The robot popped off the track and crashed into the glass and cracked the glass. And you could sit there and watch it bang its head on the <laughs> glass for about 30 minutes. It was actually kind of entertaining at the time. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, technology has changed so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's just mind-boggling to me. Like you said, now we can keep all that data on a phone. So uh, oh, yeah. don't expect innovation to slow down, but I think that's a good place to kind of head towards our last question of the show. And that is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling either of you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your lives and careers? And uh, maybe we'll start with Megan. <laughs> Perfection, right? <laughs> they were Because we're all perfect. It's so perfect, it's uncomfortable. Everyone here is so perfect. Mm-hmm. It the makes more me uncomfortable. You bring it up, the less I can edit out of this episode. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. have to drop it. Just send it to Clint Hill or Cliff. Or Cliff, Cliff will take care of it. I like it. Uh, I, I would say I've, oh, I think I was just born uncomfortable and it's always what it drives me. And I, I, I don't know if I prefer to live that way or I'm just like that and I can't change it. But I think when you're uncomfortable, you, you grow, right? Mm-hmm. That's the more uncomfortable I am, the more I'm growing. And I think if I'm sitting, if I've ever been too comfortable, I'm not pushing it enough. And to me, the comfort makes me uncomfortable, if that makes any sense. Um, and so I, I like to be that way. And I kind of encourage people to do that. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, it, you push boundaries, you ask questions, not just of yourself, but of the environment around you. And you're not to, you know, to bring it, I guess, back to what we were here to talk about in terms of the product launch that really came out of some really hard questions about why can't I do this better, which was a question to myself. But then I started asking those around me and got feedback. Hey, it's really hard. You can't do it. And maybe it's the entrepreneur in me. It made me say, well, I'm going to do it. There has to be a way to do it. And I found someone to do it with me, Cliff slash Clark. And Now here we are, and that's really exciting. And now, you know, I'm back to my discomfort, which is now we got to get people in it. We got to make the product really good. And I think that that's healthy development, right? And it's kind of living on that edge of confidence and also discomfort. So to me, it's kind of riding that line of I've got to keep pushing myself. That's a great answer, Megan. And Steve, what about you? We were talking about this. I started in technology in 1983. It was a world without cell phones, without internet, and where if you had a personal computer, it didn't have a hard drive. You remember floppy drives? Uh, so this is a, a fast forward to today. And I think during the last 38 years, I've had to constantly recalibrate my brain around what we call the art of the possible. What is possible? What can you do? And I think that's part of the the love I have for technology is it, it, it 
fights complacency. You can't be complacent. You have to be curious. You have to realize that what didn't work yesterday can probably work today. And what worked yesterday may not have a role at all today. So you're constantly changing. And that's what I, I really take away from living uncomfortably is always be willing to change, to reinvent yourself and to reinvent your, your notions of what's possible. Awesome. And I think that's a great place to wrap up. So Megan, Steve, thanks so much for coming on to talk Thank about you. bees. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you guys. Yeah. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that interview and you want to hear more, just like them, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We release every Monday. So uh, you can tune into Conquering Columbus every week. And it really does help us out if you hit that subscribe button. So make sure you do it. With that, we will uh, talk to you next week. <laughs>